0: Hey everybody, welcome to Living My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is Canadian singer-songwriter, M. Kreiner. Now I first discovered M's music back when I was in college in Buffalo. I was fortunate enough to hear all the great Canadian music that bled over the border, and M was on top of the list. We talk about how she got her major record deal, what happened following that, her creation of Dead Daisy Records, and she toured with David Bowie for a couple years in his band, talk About that, and this week is memorable with David Bowie, the passing, the anniversary of his passing, as well as his birthday. And we talk covers. She released an EP of Paul and Oat songs, which is absolutely fabulous. Not to mention, she released a full length cover album called Girl Versions, Song 2, "Pour of Sugar on Me, Crazy Train. And I asked her if she received any feedback from her versions. And she collaborated with a real life astronaut, Chris Hatfield, from the International Space Station. Her and the Canadian astronaut collaborated on David Bowie's Space Oddity, and we talk about how that collaboration worked. M. super sweet, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with her. And helping me relive my youth today is M. Greiner. M. how are you today?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, before we look back, I just want to kind of currently talk about what you're doing, Um Only of Earth. I listened to it a ton of times. I think it's, you know, I can say it's a masterpiece, I think. Um, I guess the the first of a trilogy that you're doing, um, you just talk about like the inspiration behind it.
1: Sure. And thank you. That's very nice of you to say. Uh, You know, I guess I got to a point a few years ago where I let go of a lot of my desire to Follow, I guess my normal path which would be you know just let's just put out a record not that I put out records kind of just out of habit but you know when you're independent you you sort of are driven a bit by the cycle of putting out records and touring and I suppose like major label people are like this too and I think you know it's not that it became not fun to me but I really wanted to go back to The music that I listened to when I was younger, like the 80s rock and a little bit of the 70s stuff that my brothers listened to. And uh, I wanted to kind of invite musicians to be more collaborative with me. Because I think when you're a singer-songwriter, the tendency is to do it all kind of as an island, you know, and just sort of hear my songs and you can play over top of them or whatever. And I didn't really want to do that. So with this record, uh, I was really inspired by you know, wanting to work with other musicians, but also some major events in my life, such as, you know, becoming a mom and, um, you know, the passing of David Bowie, those two things I felt were polar opposites, you know, um, in terms of how they affected me, um, you know, a beginning and an end kind of a thing. So, um, I was, I was inspired to basically start this project and this is the first of three. I don't know when the other ones will get done.
0: Right. (laughs)
1: But um, I just wanted to kind of tell the story of my life through science fiction. So that's basically where it all comes from.
0: Right. So you're not on like an every other year, like Star Wars schedule for your trilogy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like the budget of Star Wars. Oh, yeah. But I'm not on that. Uh, I'm definitely not on any sort of like, like putting pressure on myself for anything.
0: Right. Um, yes, yeah, so there's definitely some Bowie I can hear, uh, some Genesis, I think even like Kate Bush, I hear a little Mm -hmm. bit in some, in some of the music. Um, obviously those are artists that you all, that you kind of grew up on too, right?
1: Yeah. They're also artists that I feel are timeless, you know? Um, and I don't know whether it's just like a trademark of getting older where you just kind of feel precious about the music from back then. Right. But, You know, I do see young kids really into classic rock, so I'm tempted to think that I'm not totally right about that theory. You know, like I think there's something really great about the way people made music before the digital age, you know, like really playing together and really thinking about album artwork and, um, you know, art and And rock and space and all those things kind of converged at a certain time. And I find that so interesting, you know, and um, it's much more interesting to me than kind of what's hot right now, you know?
0: Right. And we're both the same age and I don't want to like kind of be like, you know, get off my lawn type thing. But but what do you think of like, you know, the current artists? Are there any like artists that you like? Because I kind of find it like you can't listen to regular radio. Uh, It's I think it's impossible. I think there's I don't want to say trash, but I mean, there are maybe one or two artists, artists that I think are really good. But the rest of them, I think, is just a product of the times.
1: Yeah, I think there's a whole bunch of really talented people. And there are a lot of people with talented ideas and images. I think I had this chat with my friend Earl Slick just about kind of, I guess, the way people make records. You know, like there was there's something lasting about a little bit of imperfection and I think that in my case when I listen to something new it's kind of cool for a little while but then I go off it and I think sometimes that's because you know it's a little bit too labored over or something's just not I'm not feeling the soul of it I guess and uh, I'm not saying that all new music is like that but it's easier to find kind of classic rock and and sort of, you know, that stuff that has that quality. So, you know, if given the choice between like Led Zeppelin and maybe a new band, I'm probably just gonna pick Led Zeppelin. And that does sound totally like I'm a get off my lawn kind
0: of person. <laughs> right, no, you know, and I'm the same way. I mean, you can discover like new music which came out well, new new to you that came out forty years ago and you might be late on, you know, getting on the train, but so to speak. But you're discovering it nonetheless.
1: Yeah, that's a good name for a playlist on, yeah. <laughs> like, new to you.
0: New to you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it'll, you know, co- correspond with my get off my lawn playlist. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Hand yeah.
0: in hand. Right now, like getting back to like, the, the start of your career, um, my favorite song of yours, and it's it still is, is Wisdom Bus, and I think that's kind of what. Got you, you, you won the, there so many contests as a result of losing books, correct? Yep. Yeah. Um, how old were you when you wrote that song? Does that song still have the same meaning now to you?
1: Yeah, in a way, it kind of does. It's it's strange. I mean, the things that I was wrestling with when I was twenty are not the same things I'm wrestling with now. But there's still the same, uh, you know, daily challenge. I think that all humans go through of just trying to figure out what, like, what your path is, and um, that's what that song was about. Just you know, navigating the ups and downs of life and uh yeah you know uh I I am happy with that song and I I'd love to maybe re-record some of these songs because they're a bit you know when you record something in the 90s yeah the, it doesn't always hold
0: up right <laughs> <laughs> exactly. yeah well you had, you had you know well you first that was I guess first on original leap year and that was like the first time I heard I think heard I think heard that song on the radio first because I went to college up in Buffalo. So,
2: okay. one of the
0: good things about being up there, besides like you know the beer and you know the good like you know wings, was the uh, <laughs> was the you know the Canadian music that I was able to discover. I discovered you, I discovered you know the hip, you know uh, Tara McLean, who we spoke about before. Uh, yeah. So I think the only things I really took from college was the good music and learning my social security number <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it was all worth it. it
0: it totally was yeah all those student loans you know were were, yep. were, were, were definitely worth it um so that uh like wasn't bus was the first song i heard of yours on the radio and i think summer long was was next um, do you happen to remember where you were when you first heard like one of your songs on the radio
1: um maybe i mean i know i was living in toronto when summer long came out and yeah. I'm sure you remember the station, uh, The Edge. It used to be called CFNY. Oh, yes. Um, And they they were one of the first to play it. And I think, you know what? When you're like 21 and your song gets played on the radio and you're pretty sure you're going to do music your whole life. Right. I mean, I was pretty much like, yeah, not like too cool for school about it, but not appreciative of what was happening for sure. Right.
3: I used to be contagious like the blue waves on my wall For 19 years I didn't know you, I still love you for them Now the summer's gone. I gotta say something feels wrong. Now the summer's gone. I gotta say something feels wrong. Dramatic. you won't see, you've got to go. All summer long.
1: when they play my songs on the radio um, you know, it's windows down and I'm saying, Hey, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it sort of highlights how, how goals change too. You know, like the reason why I made music then, which was kind of, you know, show everyone in high school, how cool I am, right. um, is different than why I do it now. So um, that's been an interesting path too. And I don't think one way is right or, wrong. It's just the way life goes.
0: Right. And then uh, as a result of your, I guess, debut album you signed with Mercury. And I'm sure that, that had to be kind of like a shock to the system recording for like a big label.
1: You know what it, it was, but I was really lucky that well, lucky and unlucky that <laughs> 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 I had a manager and an AR person who who thought that I knew what I was doing. Do okay. you know what I mean? So they were a little bit hands-off. So okay. I kind of took took things into my own uh, control, Right. which as an artist, you, you think that's the dream, right? It's like, oh, I've got all this money. I'm going to just screw off to England and make this Britpop kind of inspired record that I want to make. I'm not saying it was wrong, but I think there's something to be said for, um, you know, I guess the shock to the system was maybe the fact that I didn't know how to ask people for like, invite that advice in or sort of filter out the bad advice um, or welcome in the good advice. And I don't know if it would have changed anything, but it definitely was a great experience to go to England and make a, make whatever album I wanted to make. And um, I don't regret it, but it's, it's kind of crazy that that, uh, you know, that, that had so much money behind it and maybe not so much direction.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Did they like know how to market you though?
1: Well, it didn't really get that far because okay. by the time it came around to the marketing, um, the record label had been bought and okay. everyone had been fired and they were going to drop all these artists. So right. I was definitely cro- caught in the crossfire of a business transaction, um, But at the same time, that led me to other things that were great. So it's not like that was the end, uh, happily, I'm happy to say.
0: Right, it was pretty much just the beginning. Uh, You released Science Fair after, and and that might still be your best album, I think. It's fantastic. Um, And I think that actually outsold Public, right, without like, a it big did yeah thank it. you for saying those nice words right. um
1: what i took like what i didn't learn in marketing with the major label i learned um about touring because right. i did a lot of touring at that time and i noticed that people really liked the stripped down show of just guitar and vocals or piano and vocals and so that's what science fair kind of became sort of to kind of an extension of those sort of smaller shows where I was just recording on an eight track and right. it costs like 500 bucks to make that album. And, but yeah, it is an album that I'm proud of. And you mentioned the tragically hip and Gord Downey, He, uh, wrote me a really nice letter when that album came out and he was at the height of his success. So right. for someone to take the time and kind of give like a younger artist support, it was something that meant a lot to me.
0: Right now, I mean, because you mentioned the hip, and they obviously are Canada. Where here, I mean, I've seen them in small places here, and it's a great intimate show. I've seen them closer, you know, Syracuse and Buffalo. As you get closer to Canada, it's a bigger arena. Um, do you think that they would just like to Canadian to break out in the U.S.?
1: You know, I don't really, I don't really know, but I do think that. Uh, every country kind of latches on to something that right. they kind of feel is their own. And perhaps like, you know, we we're all going through things when we heard New Orleans is sinking and right. and Little Bones and all those really like formative, tragically hip songs. So then we take take that with us. And then they also created a culture where people kind of got together and And, um, there really wasn't another band doing that. And I think that that as well, I'm not sure that would have kind of happened in the U S you know, it sort of became a real Canadian thing to go see the hip. Um, and then I I suppose even in the U S like I did see them in LA and it was all Canadians and that was, that was cool too. So I don't know. I don't really know, but it is really difficult for Canadians to sometimes, uh, crack other markets and, and who knows what was what all the factors were at play,
0: right? And it's true because I've interviewed a lot of Canadian artists. You know, interviewed you know Mar- Margot Timmins from the Cowboy Chunkies. and you know maybe they broke out a, a little more than the the hip, but they're they're, they're still kind of like a, have a cult following in the U.S. as well.
1: Yeah, it's it's strange, you know. Uh, it's uh, I don't know. I don't really have the answers for you know, what it kind of takes to, to conquer all these markets other than maybe a, a large team and, right. and having the time and the, and the desire to do it. Um, I know plenty of my friends are happy kind of just touring up here in Canada. Yeah. And it's sometimes difficult to get across the border for financial reasons. So, you know, as an independent artist, I can see why it, it's difficult. But, um, yeah.
0: Right. So with, with the success of Science Fair uh, did you pretty much like kind of figure I'm going to be an independent artist for the rest of my career? Cause knowing I can do it on my own and have that ex- success with Dead Daisy?
1: Um, that's a good question. I didn't really decide that at that time. I, to be totally honest, I, you know, in some ways I was independent by circumstance and then through a couple of experiences, I kind of got behind it more as, as a belief, you know? Um, I think when I toured with David Bowie, uh, he felt really kind of, I remember him saying to me, uh, if I was 25 in the year 2000, I would definitely not sign a record deal. Hmm. And I kept thinking, wow, easy for you to say, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but I think he kind of meant it in a weird way that, you know, things have changed so much. And he was really excited about all the things you could do online at that time, obviously. Um, and then, you know, I I made one more record called Asian Blue that right. uh, we did kind of shop around to a few labels. And I just found that experience just, I guess I felt like a fish out of water having carved out my own schedule for so long and kind of been in control of all all the creative decisions. And then I just thought, oh, I'm going to go down that road again. And Kind of have like 50 people working on a record that they're just kind of working on it for a job, and it's not necessarily that I got jaded about it, but I think I had had so many wonderful experiences just like being on my own. Right. Um, I I wasn't sure I had the skills to like navigate mm-hmm. navigate like a record deal anymore. So I think after Asian Blue, I really put my heart into just doing it doing it on my own and. Um, i'm really happy that i have
0: right and you've been like really prolific uh, i think uh only of Birth is like your 20th release uh, i've
1: lost track no right. so
0: <laughs> okay that, that's why you have us to, you know to uh, to keep track for you but i mean that's like that's really good it, and you're you're young so i mean that's like you know pretty prolific to release all those albums at your age <laughs>
1: Well, that's nice of you to say. Thank
0: you. Oh, anytime. I'm I'm trying to score brownie points. So I hope it's working. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you scored them.
0: Okay, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Now, you mentioned Bowie. Um, how did you uh, get involved with him?
1: Well, when I went, uh, when I made Science Fair, I was doing some touring in the U.S. And um, uh, another backing vocalist, uh, Holly Palmer, had invited me to do a show with her at a place called uh, Fez, which is no longer, but uh, we had this great show and then she was like, yeah, I'm just, I'm starting to sing with David Bowie and they're looking for someone else. And I was like, I wasn't too up on what Bowie had done, sadly. Okay.
3: <laughs>
1: like I thought Rebel Rebel was a Rolling Stones song. So I was okay. really behind the <laughs> right. curve. Um, but I knew, you know, let's dance and and China Girl and right, all that stuff. Right. So Again, being independent, I was just like, "Well, nothing's keeping me from Doing saying no to that, right. so I'll say yes, and I'm glad that I did you know it i I just kind of got swept into that job, and like within like a week, I was on Saturday Night Live, right. so it was like that was a culture shock for yeah. sure,
0: right now, what was the biggest takeaway you you got from him?
1: uh that's a really good question. he I think, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't in touch with him too much towards the end of his life. We had some emails back and forth, but, um, during the time that I was with him, he was really excited about music and definitely playing by his own rules. And I think, um, he was also very respectful of people. Like he wasn't one of these guys who just like oh there's my band and I'm gonna go hide in this other room like it was like we're a band we're like hanging out Mm. at the airport going for dinner like and I loved that someone so legendary was just cool with that and it kind of I guess it was humbling and it was also um inspiring just to see that you know just because you get to a certain age doesn't mean you just go and make like a standards album or like like some duets record like he never really he always challenged himself in my opinion up to the very end and i i think that was probably the takeaway
0: right now being a solo artist performing on stage by yourself to becoming a backup singer how much of a process that take do you kind of like ease right into it or do you have difficulties
1: uh yeah (laughs) it was pretty crazy like because you know when you're young when you're in your 20s and you're like you had a record deal and you're doing your own shows it's pretty much all about you you know and i remember when we got in front of our first crowd in dublin um the band was on stage before david walked on and i remember them I remember the audience like looking at the band before he came on and I was like, wow, these people are pumped, you know? (laughs) And then once David walked on, it was just all eyes on David. And like, we, it's not like we didn't matter or whatever, but it was like, okay, I know, I know what's going on now. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not about me. Yeah. So in that regard, it was, I got to be like uh, kind of a spy, you know, (laughs)
3: like
1: (laughs) just kind of check out this crazy legendary life um, for myself without experiencing it. So, um, you know, and then after I wasn't in the band anymore, I think I just kind of questioned, you know, what, like, I'm not David Bowie. I never will be, but what are my strengths? Like, what Mm -hmm. are the things that I, I can be excited about? You know? So, from that standpoint, there was a lot of reflection.
0: Right. Now, um, another, I guess, icon gave you, I think, an ultimate praise uh, Bono, who you said he wished he wrote the song Almighty Love. That's pretty much an awesome compliment.
3: Don't ride back when you promise to. All night time, like me on you Got bars of your punk rock Running through my veins And I've got symphonies and science and No way to exist.
1: A step further and recorded it.
0: That's true. <laughs> that, 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 that's true. You had a point there. <laughs> Come
1: on, Bono, if you're listening.
0: Yeah, and 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 then it would have been on everyone's iPhone because the album would have got automatically downloaded to it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly right. I probably yeah. it would have made zero dollars. Right. <laughs> but no, that was really nice because again, as an independent art- artist, you don't know who's listening to your music. You don't know how far it's getting. Um, and it was really nice of him to put me in the same category as like Bob Dylan and Oasis and all of that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, it was just a nice bit of news to get.
0: Right. Um, and you've done a bunch of covers, uh, and all absolutely great. Uh, your first, I guess, covers album, uh, girl versions, uh, you had Death Leopard, Death Cat Blur, Ozzy Osbourne. Um, same To name a few, how did you come up with those songs, and did you get any feedback from any of those artists?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I basically picked 10 songs that were sung by men, and I wanted to sing them like ballads with like cello and piano. Right. So I picked, you know, Crazy Train and Fugazi and stuff that, um, you know, a lot of people said, wow, I never knew what the lyrics were in Crazy yeah. Train until I heard your version. And I... I kinda of like that, but
3: crazy what's well, out goes millions of people live in for and maybe it's not too late to learn. i <laughs>
1: Kind of made the lyrics funny in a way, especially with something like "Pour Some Sugar on Me."
3: But
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> that is where the whole album began because I met Joe Elliott from Def Leppard, mm-hmm. and he was a fan of Science Fair actually. And oh, then I, as kind of a Christmas gift to him, I covered "Pour Some Sugar on Me" at home right. and sent and sent it to him, and he really liked it. So, um, in terms of people <laughs> giving feedback, yeah, like I know Ian from Fugazi had some positive things to say um one thing that was really funny was I did a cover on that album of song two by blur right and that's just like a trashy cool indie rock song you know um and I I made it kind of like Kate Bush Tori Amos sort of thing Damon said something like, I don't know how he heard it, but he said something like, oh, that's something like to the effect that that's really weird or <laughs> it was very short and kind of just like right. like he had been puzzled by it, which yeah. I actually think that's kind of awesome.
0: Yeah, definitely a compliment. And, you know, they play <laughs> they play that song in every arena, every sporting event. It'd be kind of funny if they substitute your version after someone uh, scores yeah. a goal or something like that. <laughs>
1: yeah, the uh, the testosterone would really drain out
0: of the arena at that point right when I was talking with uh, Tara McLean she had a couple covers she did uh The Cure's Love Song and Tears of Fear's Mad World and both of them totally original versions and which I think coverage should be especially when you have like a female artist covering a male artist song when they make it their own it's almost a better version and I think like your versions are I think better than the originals
1: Ah, oh, thank you that's
0: very nice yeah i'm gonna keep the compliments coming because you did a, a, another <laughs> covers ep by one of my favorite bands hall and oates and which those four songs were were tremendous uh she's gone i guess would be that's the title song but the version you did of method and Modern love i loved it. it's very techno-y. oh thank you yeah also how did you come up with those songs
1: meeting with the the publishers for Hollow Notes and I kind of got an idea that oh I should just cover some of their songs and maybe you know it'd be cool for them to use them and things um but you know I I really love um Say It Isn't So like that's one of my favorite songs (laughs) so I just kind of picked my favorites but um with Method of Modern Love that was produced by My friend Joe, who actually ended up producing that version of Space Oddity that I did, in which was it became the first music video in space. So lots of like, you know, people have worked on a a lot of different things in my career and um, and not too many people know know that. So, yeah, it was just a fun thing to do. And I'm surprised how much people like that. Like, I don't know. It's just something to do. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, too bad, like, Daryl Hall didn't, like, invite you to, to perform in Daryl's house.
1: I know. I'm still waiting for the call.
0: Yeah. So. I'll. Uh,
1: Daryl, if you're listening, if Daryl and Bono are listening, who well, else do we need to get listening?
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> I'll, I'll try. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, then, okay, last question. You mentioned Space Odyssey, um, performed, obviously, in Space by uh, the one and only Chris Hadfield. Um, you knew him before. Obviously, he became famous, right? He grew up in your town, correct?
1: Well, we're both from the same city in okay. in Ontario, yeah. Okay.
0: So how, how did you two meet?
1: Uh, some person, I don't even know who this person was, but someone approached me about writing a song for one of Chris's previous space missions. So I was all up for that because I love space, as right. I said before. And um, I wrote this song called Christopher, and it was on um, my album Asian Blue.
3: Winter hangs on Just like a to love Left a time under factory lights Spinning on freeways for 25 years A place in the sky where it all disappears Christopher walks on the dark.
1: Uh, (laughs) You know, he was really, I think, kind of touched that I wrote that song. I found out recently his name's not Christopher; it's actually just Chris. So, oh. <laughs> bit, of a, it bit of a fail, fail there. But um, <laughs> I've tried it out in concert with just the word Chris, Chris. and it just doesn't doesn't sound work.
2: Yeah. No.
1: So <laughs> no. anyway, we became friends. We kind of did some performing together um, uh, before he became commander of the space station a while ago, right. and then you know when he became commander of the space station in 2013, he wanted to collaborate on some music up there. And that's how Space Oddity all came together. I kind of came up with the little piano thing. There's like a really, really dreamy kind of Peter Gabriel like piano thing that I started it with. And um, yeah, just back and forth, like sending files from Earth to the space station. We got this song recorded and um, then he shot some video to it. And yeah, the results were just, again, super surprising, like how many people... Loved that, and I think Chris did a really good job just bringing space to us without any ego. And I know David really loved it. David, you know, Chris wanted David Bowie's approval on that, which I don't know if that's really necessary, but he wanted it, and right. and Bowie like was super awesome about it. Like once I could finally get a hold of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so so he he's, um reached out to Bowie before they even you guys even recorded it.
1: Um, well, no, I was the go between, between oh, right. Chris and, and David Bowie, which is kind of awesome to be a go yeah, exactly. between an astronaut, right. David Bowie. Um, but, uh, yeah, like Hadfield had done the song, we did the song and then he shot the video. Um, and he just wanted kind of a blessing, I think from David. So I kept going to Bowie saying, you know, this guy's in space. Can you maybe <laughs> check this out? And. Finally, Chris was in, like, it was his last month in, in space, right. and I just had to title the email to David, One Month Left in Orbit. <laughs> and I think it got his attention because he CC'd his whole business team. And right. His first, his opening line of that email was, uh, How can we help the astral man? <laughs> Which I thought was That's amazing. Great.
4: Ground control to major tongue from station, and may God's love be with you. This is ground control to Major Tom. It's time to guide the capsule if you dare.
1: Helpful and he is so supportive and I think uh, in a weird way I think no matter who you are if someone's recording your song in space, uh,
0: it's it's pretty cool. So yeah, absolutely, and it, it turned out great. Uh, last question: Any plans to come to the states to do some shows?
1: Well, I've just done a whole bunch of shows in the U.S. actually, but uh, you know not wide like not a wide right. spread tour but I did Boston and New York and I did a few house concerts and I did San Francisco so um I will maybe come back again uh but it might take a little while um and uh, yeah so I I really appreciate all your kind words and and for being there from the Beginning.
0: Oh, of course. And uh, I'm very upset that I missed the New York shows, but hopefully soon you'll be back. But, M, this has been great. Thank you for a few minutes today and best of luck.
1: Okay. Thanks, Noel.
0: And a special thanks to M for joining me today. You can follow her on Twitter at mgriner. Her website is mgriner.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the 1st nol19. Be sure to like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes. Check out all the past episodes we have had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. You can find the show on SoundCloud, Podbean, and now Spotify. Just search Living My Youth, all one word. Living My Youth shop on tpublic.com. Just search youth. You can get t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, mugs, and even onesies. A new episode of Living My Youth comes out every Wednesday. And we're approaching our 100th episode. So if you have any guest ideas, just let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on Facebook. I'll do what I can. And we'll see you next week.